0: What's the password? Hmm. Welcome to the Game Master Speakeasy, brought to you by the record button.
1: Hello and welcome to the Game Master Speakeasy. Come on in and grab a drink. My name's Cody. I'm Lance. And we will be your hosts this evening. Here at the Game Master's Speakeasy, we welcome anyone who has even a Fleeting interest in uh, tabletop games, which is both uh, both yours and mine. One
0: of our favorite things, right? I mean, it would be my profession if I could find a way to you know monetize it. <laughs> yeah, some people
1: have. There are. We could do a whole episode on uh, professional GMs. That's true. Uh, in the meantime, though, today's main topic will be more. Well, we've had we've had a couple people get back to us about the earlier episodes, and they say, "Yeah, it's great, but I don't know anything about tabletop games. Sounds like a foreign language." So. We thought we'd do a couple episodes. Or, or, it's just a two-parter, really. Two-parter, yeah. Uh, maybe a two-parter, probably a two-parter, but we're going to talk about, in today's main topic, will be kind of a tutorial for people that have no prior knowledge to for tabletop games. Maybe you've played board games, but tabletop games has a... Uh, RPGs, I should say. Tabletop RPGs have kind of a language of their own, right? It's not... Uh, we say things like dc's and skill checks and, and saving target, throws, numbers. target yeah. numbers you know and you might be able to guess on context
0: clues about what's going on but but if, you, but if you've never gamed you might not know what we're talking about so uh we're going to we're going to kind of help you guys work through that this episode yeah and and the next episode so
1: the rule of this and the next episode is that every time we say uh, after the news segment and we get caught up and we get into the main topic, once we start explaining things, every time we ex- we got to stop and explain it and then we take a drink.
0: I hope he brought enough beer.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Maybe, we'll see. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, well, let's get started first with the news before we get to the main topic. Do you have anything?
0: Um, no, not really. All right. That's uh, kind of by- your thing, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. By
1: the time this comes out, uh, I just wanted to catch you off guard. Uh, the, by the time this comes out, uh, it will have already released, but I think it was on the, the 26th of day of January. The Galactic Magic Rulebook for Starfinder will have been released. So here's some retroactive pushing for that. If you don't know what Starfinder is, it's like d d in space. It's uh, it's made by the same company that makes Pathfinder uh, 1 and 2, uh, Paizo.
0: And I we have done a couple sessions of it. I like it. I, I, you- I liked it. Well, I like it. I think the biggest problem is that shortly after we got into it, Pathfinder Two came out, and I just think Honestly, that yeah. Pathfinder 2's rule set is so much better, it's crispy it's than nice it's Pathfinder like... One. Well, I've never played Pathfinder One, but I assume that Starfinder is basically a derivative of Pathfinder One. Well, it's it's or one point five ish, maybe I don't know. If you
1: really, it's, it is one point five ish because you can see. Uh, some of the rules in the first in Starfinder first edition,
0: some of the rules seem like they were going to like oh like they, they were testing things like mid for... mid range between two. I, yeah. I I'm hoping they either put out a, a Starfinder two sometime soon or just a conversion module for it because I would be a lot more excited about playing Starfinder again if we were using the Pathfinder two rule
1: system. It, it, just that three action system man. It,
0: it is it is that smooth. Speaking of sci-fi, the other thing I have.
1: Um, As of right now, there are still 17 days to go, but by the time this releases, it will have finished the Kickstarter, but I bet you'll still be able to pre-order some version of it. Uh, We've talked about Mothership before, Mm -hmm. at least a mention of it, but there is another... uh, Well, they're calling it an an Anthology Digest. Whole Breach Volume 1 on Kickstarter for use with Mothership Sci-Fi Horror RPG First Edition, which is the edition... That will be releasing in, like, November of 2022. Okay. Because Mothership has had a version out, and I own the little pamphlet. Mm -hmm. But they have had a Kickstarter for, like, a revised first edition. The pamphlet I own, they're calling, like, Zero Edition, essentially. Gotcha. Okay, okay. So, quote-unquote, first edition comes out in November. And this is basically, like, a supplement for it that you can get physical or digital. And it's just got all kinds of extra goodies and tools to use. Like, I think there's probably going to be... Um, it's basically new content. It's it's a, like a really new modules, B-series equipment, and all that sort of stuff for Mothership, and uh, it's third party. But I think I don't remember where I read this, so I don't have my source on me. But I think that editors that worked on Mothership also helped them put this together okay. to make sure that by the time it comes out, because it's going to release around the same time mm-hmm. as First Edition, so it'll come out and be like day one ready compatible. They with wanted first all edition. the kind of jive. Yeah. So it'll be ready to go right smack dab at the beginning.
0: I would be really interested in playing. I think maybe that's uh, one of the things that that I've ha- always had a hard time perceiving when it comes to tabletop games. I want a good horror game that makes me feel legitimately scared. Yeah, yeah, and, and not and not just like oh, it's there's a difference between
1: describing uh, gore and mm-hmm. you know in the scene because you can overdo that. Oh, what exactly. you want is tension and like dread. Mm-hmm. It, I think uh, I think there is a. You can talk about the difference between like terror and dread. I think they're yeah. considered two different things. Where dread is like that more psychological. Yeah, it's horror. just
0: hanging out in the back of your head, making yeah. you anxious. Yeah.
1: What, what isn't it that I see that's freaking me mm-hmm. out, right? And uh, so, if you've ever enjoyed the Alien movie franchise, the Mothership would be a good game to check out. I'd or, be willing to try. Or it. the Alien RPG. Yeah. That way, I also have.
0: I that, mean, that, that's listen, on my list of systems. I'm just waiting to test. for you to announce these one shots because I'm. You know me. I'm down for them.
1: Yeah. Uh, we will get that, to, we'll get to that pretty soon, actually. And then once we have done those, we'll talk about them on the show. Awesome. All right, tell me what's, uh, what's good? What have you done tabletop-related
0: lately? Um, well, let's see. We, what did we do in the pirate campaign? Um. Here, Brett, take this can. Ooh. Don't read the title. Oh, okay, I'm not reading, not reading the title of the can. This is super <laughs> you, secret you, you, squirrel stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, we were going, oh, we were going through that, uh, that challenge. Uh, that, that challenge in the pirate campaign. That's right. Um. That feels like it's been so long tr- you
1: were in a well the, that because that was like two weeks ago you're doing the mm-hmm. dungeon which is the trials of the yeah. fertility growth goddess that's the right gro- the growth maiden as she is called in the in world and you were in a dungeon to basically charge up a crystal is your is yep. your goal essentially yep, we're trying to get the, the... Get, get to the end of the dungeon charge up a crystal see what happens what happened what happened so do you remember what challenges you faced I'm
0: gonna be honest with you my memory's crap that's Um,
1: fair you fought some bugs
0: (laughs) we did fight the bugs yeah you remember the bugs and there were I do remember there was was a big rhino beetle and the the praying mantis and we kind of tore our way through those and then we had a room where we didn't fight anything yep it was just a puzzle yep which bog doesn't participate much in puzzles cuz what of a dumb. A, yeah what a, yeah. yeah
1: he's more of a he's more mm-hmm. of a fighter guy right I'll just uh I'll kill
0: things and I steal stuff yeah there you go that's what i do
1: you kill things and you steal mm-hmm. stuff what about uh the next one that we did cuz the, the next this last week we played both the 16th level Pathfinder game yeah
0: so we this was the conversion of our 5e campaign over to Pathfinder um I, unsurprisingly, when play I play my Warlock Aram, he, I roll like crap. That's just, that's been, like, the running theme for this character. For about
1: four years, it's
0: been nothing yeah, but one. Yeah, it's ones. just terrible. It's, it's really bad. And, so, and,
1: and in, in these systems, low is bad. Yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> so, um, we, we, we did a run of that. We did a, I would say kind of our first combat test. It is, At yeah. that level. Um, there's, uh... Our, our gnomish artificer—I um, don't know what he's been converted to—but an inventor, is inventor. what It's called Path, yeah, Pathfinder yeah.
1: Two. They call it an mm-hmm. inventor, and it's not—it's uh, not a magic caster. Yeah. Th- three of the cla- three people in my in our game are no longer casters because of mm-hmm. the way Pathfinder Two works.
0: Yeah, but Brittany Moose and uh... Brittany Moose and Dan. Yeah, I was going to say they, guess, they were all playing champions. in
1: five E. They were the ones that have yeah, like pallet. partial spell slots, mm-hmm. half, casters, half as casters. it's called. Um, which a half-caster is someone in D&D who uh, gets their spells at, like, half the rate of a mm-hmm. wizard.
0: So we, um, with that one, we were fighting, we basically, they, they basically airdropped in a bunch of enemies. The uh, the inventor has a, I guess, quote-unquote nemesis, some character from yeah. his past that is working with the uh, big bad evil guy from our campaign. And this is not the first time that he has, like... Airdropped basically enemies to come fight us. So we're waiting to get on these ships because we're we're going out to um to help uh, our paladin's sister deal with some pirate stuff off the coast. And as we're we're walking toward the uh the docks, this these things get airdropped on us. I remember there being two like what were they stags or bulls that produced a lot of stank. Uh, they, they were poison the crap out of me. I they were kind of wrecked. like
1: stags. It's <laughs> uh. It's a, it's a folklore creature called a Katoblifos. I'm sure some people pronounce that differently. But it's a big stank swamp monster that if you're close to it, it can make you sick. Yeah, just, it, just the mere smell of decay that surrounds these
0: things. Yeah, he took like half my health with that poison spit thing that he did. That was not cool. Yeah. Because <laughs> I, the, I rolled really bad on my save. Yes, so you took double damage. I got wrecked.
1: Yeah. And where it's it's pretty crazy... Uh, jumping from like a fifth level Pathfinder game to 16th level, the numbers are higher. I don't like it. You don't like (laughs) it? No,
0: I, I, and it's it's not, I I mean, I can't, I can't say that it's not because I don't like the character and it's not because I don't like the spells. It's because I feel like with, with Bog specifically, I am organically learning to play the class as it's going. So every level, I just get another like drop in the bucket of power and knowledge to use. The problem is, now I'm just carrying... Like, with, with Aram, I'm carrying around this giant bucket full of fluid, and I have no idea what's in there. Yeah, yeah. Because so, and, I, I haven't had the time to learn all the way through level 16. And there's a, I mean,
1: there's a big sign on the side that says Eldritch Waste
0: Material. Yeah, and I'm like, <laughs> I don't know what this is or where it came from. Yeah. So I, I feel like I'm, I'm not utilizing my character to the best of my ability, because I don't know or understand all of his all of his powers, because I haven't had time to... Like, I can read them off the paper, you know, right. but I haven't had time to actually learn them as I go. Well,
1: that'll come with time. You guys have four whole... You guys, well, 16, 17, 18, 19... You technically have four Fuck. whole levels, yeah. four and a half levels of content mm. before you fight the big bad, so you'll get there.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then in the then, meantime, it's kind of painful. <laughs> then,
1: yeah, no, the first, I expected that. The first couple, the first five combats are going to be real messy. Mm-hmm. That said, um, I think that Shelby did a great job with her caster. I think mm-hmm. she, I think she actually liked that.
0: Because
1: if you cast a spell, two of your three actions
0: are decided for you yeah. a lot of the time. It's a lot faster when you're a spellcaster yeah. a lot of the time because you don't have to worry as much about what you're
1: doing. And then the next day we played Lancer, and you guys fought a an Ultra, which is someone. It's basically a boss, and he was permanently invisible, which seemed like a pain
0: in the butt. It was a pain in the butt. Um, what was? It wasn't specifically the invisibility that bothered me. What was the other thing that he kept doing?
1: Oh, it was um because he's an invis because he's invisible, he can hide whenever.
0: Oh, that's right, and yeah. and. Hidden characters in Lancer require you to actually successfully search for them or you can't even target them. Yeah,
1: they're just untargetable. You cannot target. It's not like uh, you just cannot select them for hostile actions. And it,
0: it didn't occur to me until about halfway through the combat I could just he- keep hucking grenades at them and solve that problem real quick. But mm-hmm. uh,
1: Which is a good use of grenades because they are uh, saves
0: instead. That's true. Um, yeah, that that was uh, that was fun. We I, I think we talked about the previous part of that where we assaulted the base. So we were just down in the cargo hold now, um, taking out the last of the enemies. Yeah. That was after one of our characters decided to mercilessly. Exe- oh God! One e- the, execute two one of, these of two of the captured enemies.
1: Yeah, one of these mercenary player characters is getting a little murder hobo y
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm gonna have. I'm as the designated leader of the group. I'm gonna have to get that under control yeah. because it's gonna become more of a problem than a benefit at some point. All right, take a. Let's get on to the beer. What are we drinking? All right, let's see. Can you, can you read that font? Old Dirty Kent's? Old Dirty
1: Kent's by Confluence Brewing Company. <laughs> Old Dirty Kent's English-style barley
0: wine ale. What do you think of it? I think it's good. First couple of drinks have been good. Oh, my God. 10.6 on the alcohol. <laughs> this is going to be a good recording. <laughs> I'm not even right. mad about it. <laughs> so,
1: yeah, don't forget, every time that we have to explain something, we take a drink
0: yep so so with that i suppose we will move on to the uh yep let's get to it so we're going to talk about the
1: game master's role in the in tabletop games um and we're also going to discuss some basic concepts that you will that will things that will come up often for new players the things that they should really be focused on uh like definitions of uh, rolls. So let's let's just start with the dice roll mechanics. Oh, yeah, I can already feel feel one coming. <laughs> Excuse me, right into the producer's ears. You can't, right. you can't see the look on his face, but it's not it's not great. Just trust us. All right, so let's start off with the the big three. um If you're playing D anD D, which is what does D anD D stand for? Dungeons and Dragons. D D stands for Dungeons and Dungeons and Dragons. Drink. Okay, what are the the big three are attack rolls, skill checks, or also called ability checks, mm-hmm. and saving throws. Why don't you start with attack rolls? It's pretty easy. Okay,
0: attack rolls are pretty basic. Um, an attack roll is, and, and this kind of goes with any system, sometimes they're called something a little bit different, but your attack roll is basically the roll that you make to determine whether or not you're you are successful in an attack. That can be for ranged attacks, that can be for melee attacks, in some games that's for even for spell attacks. Yep, spell attacks, or
1: or like hacks, certain mm-hmm. games that use hacking Sci-fi might, games have, that might have hacking, a hack attack or a yep. hack or something like that, but basically you roll the die and you apply your bonus to hit to mm-hmm. that die, and then once you hit, then you can roll damage based on what your ability or weapon is. Mm-hmm. Um, Alright, next, uh, ability and skill checks.
0: Okay, ability and skill checks are more commonly used. They do have some utility in combat, like if you're trying to intimidate an enemy in combat or something like that, but skill checks are both in and out of combat checks, and that's where your character's going to have some designated skills or... Um, things they're proficient in, if we're talking about Dungeons & Dragons, for example. Yeah, I mean,
1: we'll, we'll, we'll hearken to Dungeons & Dragons often, because that's kind of mm-hmm. like...
0: The, uh, that's I, the baseline for a lot of people.
1: It's the Kleenex of, you yeah. know, it's the Kleenex of the tabletop world, mm-hmm. right? People talk about tabletop games, and you're like, oh, you do what now? Oh, it's like Dungeons & Dragons. Oh, Which, You know, we I should
0: probably it. explain proficiency, since I just mentioned Oh, that. you did. <laughs> proficiency, is,
1: proficiency is usually a static bonus. Applied to a skill you are proficient in, uh, drink. <laughs>
0: Just did. In
1: D and D, it rises the higher your character's
0: yep, level. I was going to say it's, it's often affected by level in, in D twenty based systems anyway. What's a D twenty? D twenty is a twenty <laughs> sided die. Yes. All right, drink. So,
1: all right, we'll we'll explain the rest of the uh, the dice in a minute, but <laughs> uh, I'll
0: we'll wrap it up with saving throws. Okay, a saving throw is commonly a defensive maneuver. If an enemy hurls a spell at you, for example, some spells, that the ones that do not require an attack roll from the caster, require a... Uh, a saving throw from a the target. There we go. Yeah. A saving throw from the target. Yeah, attack rolls
1: are usually something that you do to hit someone, and then saving, saving throws... Are to avoid something yeah. happening to you or spell reduce... effects damage. Yeah. Sometimes
0: it's reduction. Sometimes it's uh, yeah. you know complete elimination of like the damage. F- but... For
1: example, if someone's thrown a fireball, which is basically a magical grenade, you in certain systems it's either going to be agility or reflex. You mm-hmm. roll that as a saving throw, and if you succeed, you take less damage. Or in path, you know, in in Pathfinder, if you critically succeed, then you uh, take no damage.
0: And if you critically fail. That's what happens to Aram.
1: <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, you warlock. You, you get you, you get double damage. You, you lose like, that, like more, 104
0: hit points. I lost more than half my health. Like, What's a third? hit point, Lance? Oh hey a, hit, hey, a hit point is a measure of the amount of damage that your character can take before they die.
1: Yes, there are two major ways of tracking your character's health. Uh, we should uh, we should talk about. We'll get to this later. But we'll uh, the health that your character has. There's two major ways that I see in games uh, to track it. The first big one is HP, or hit points. It's just a numerical amount that when you take, say you've got 150 hit points, if you take 30 damage, now you're down to 120. Most of the time, in most games, it's very binary with hit points. You can fight at full strength and capacity until you have none of them.
0: A a lot of games lack the mechanic necessary to represent degradation in your character's performance based on damage. And that is predominantly something you'll find in hit point based systems.
1: Yep. And then the other way is uh, usually like tracking wounds Mm -hmm. or something like that.
0: Deadlands does a really good job of that because it's got both hit location and wounds and you take whatever your maximum penalty is for your wounds. But the more damage that you take in a game like Deadlands, the, uh, the harder it is for your character to do stuff.
1: All right, so we know what the big three types of rolls are. They ha- These types of roles happen in pretty much any tabletop game, mm-hmm. for the most part. They might call them a different name. They might be combined into one thing. They might be contested, which means you roll and the enemy rolls. That's mm-hmm. usually called a contested check, where you, you and the enemy both have to roll off against one another. <sighs> there are some, some systems where contested checks make up the entirety of combat. Yeah. Like Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay. Uh, or 4th Edition is contested checks, I should say. I,
0: I have been trying to lean more into systems that are as few roles as possible for resolution. Mm-hmm. Which is why, like, it's not that I don't like games that have opposed roles, but I found that, that games that do a really good job of setting their target numbers or DCs um, tend to, to go a little faster because then the only thing that you're doing is making that attack roll versus the, the DC. Mm-hmm. And that's it. It's single roll resolution. roll damage if you hit, and, and you're done with it. That helps for a lot of games. That like if you if you if you ever played games that get really in depth with stuff like that, they tend to move slower. The, you know you, what you're doing is you're trading, I guess, a lot more realism in the way that those are tracked at the expense of speed.
1: Yep. <laughs> I don't remember, because I've never, neither you nor I have played older editions of D&D, but it's either uh, first or second, AD and d where if you cast a fireball up against the corner of a room... there was like a formula to figure out how much damage it did by volume
0: because it wasn't filling its whole space. It's funny that you mention that because Shadowrun always had a... Grenade rules were like that, right? The grenade rules in Shadowrun, they called it the chunky salsa system. (laughs) What would happen if you detonated a grenade in the confined... Yeah, in a confined space... The, when it hit a solid surface that it couldn't blow through due to the barrier rating, it would bounce back in, and then therefore kind of increasing the damage. Against fleshy targets. Yeah, so if you, of... basically, basically if you stuck a dude in a phone booth with a grenade and then dumped concrete <laughs> over the phone booth so that the blast couldn't escape, oh, okay, it would just ricochet around in there, just liquefying the target.
1: Yeah. Welcome to our, welcome to our temporarily R-rated podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Chunky salsa.
0: That's what they right. called it, man. Listen, I'm just I'm just reading it from the book. Okay? Lance, what is a game master? A game master is a combination storyteller, referee, and god. And yeah, and god <laughs> essentially. You're, you are the the
1: the game master's role in tabletop games. Most tabletop games. There has been a trend. Some tabletop games uh, don't necessarily need a game master, or some tabletop role-playing games are solo, mm-hmm. in which case you don't need a game master. But the primary formula is one game master, and then usually three to five players is the recommended number for... And, and
0: that can depend, too, on the game system. Like yes, absolutely. chunkier games that tend to grind slower, you want smaller player groups for... Yep. And mm-hmm. then faster and more efficient systems, you can stack. them. I mean, we're running six players in our Pathfinder game, and it still runs fairly smooth. I agree.
1: Uh, and so when we say do that in when we say <laughs> chunky or crunchy, we mean game systems that have more rules for more scenarios, mm-hmm.
0: uh, whereas less abstracted rules.
1: Yeah. Uh, whereas rule systems that don't have as many rules uh, are called rules light often. Mm-hmm. Um, so as so, the game master is the narrator. What is a What's a PC? I'm a- gonna I'm gonna drink as you explain it.
0: <laughs> okay, a PC is a player character. That is a character being controlled by one of the players at the table. Correct. Which would be in contrast to an NPC, Cody.
1: Yeah, yeah. An NPC mm-hmm. is a non-player character. Okay, now you drink. Uh, <laughs> a non-player character is basically what the game master is in charge of, whereas the players are responsible for their one usually one hero or champion or or maybe bad guy depending Mm -hmm. on the system or setting or game you're running but you're usually playing a good guy you know some Mm -hmm. sort or at least a neutral dungeon delver who's going into (laughs) dungeons get slaying dragons getting loot rescuing the prince or princess and and uh, saving the day but the game master is responsible for any single character who is not a player character yep. you're responsible for the old man in the cave giving out swords you're responsible for uh the wolves in the forest you're the, responsible the dragon
0: for that's eating your players the
1: dragon that's eating your players so if you were running so if you were running uh yeah that's a good example say lord of the rings a lot of people know lord of the rings if the players are Bilbo and the Dwarven adventuring party? Then you're the guy in charge of the, the mayor of mayor of was it Rivertown? Oh mm-hmm. God, I'm, I'm, I think so. I need my 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 Tolkien knowledge is suddenly failing well, me. Hey, is listen, it
0: Rivertown? The Hobbit wasn't as good as Lord of no, the No, Wars. no, no. Okay. Well, I've read the book though, so <laughs> I I, that's
1: not a good excuse. Um, so we've got the you know Lake Town. Oh, thank God, yeah, that's it. <laughs> it was a body of water. <laughs> Right, Lake Town. Lake Town. Lake Town is it? Okay. All right. The mayor, you're responsible for the mayor of Lake Town. You're responsible for the guy hawking his fish in Lake Town. You're responsible for Smaug, the dragon. All the orcs. All the orcs. The, the orcs mounts.
0: The, the orcs, mounts. I the mean, orcs like, mounts. All that.
1: Yeah, you're responsible. You're you are Sauron, <laughs> is essentially what it is. But you're also you're also Elrond. You're mm-hmm. anything that is not a player character. You are also the final <coughs> arbiter of the rules uh the game master is responsible for keeping the game going
0: which brings up a very important point the game master is the one that needs to have the best working knowledge of the rule system in the game correct it is super duper helpful if players know some stuff especially their own classes but at the end of the day if you're going to be a gm you're responsible for for learning as much of the rule system as possible Nobody's expecting 100% accuracy, the books are there for reference, but you should have a working knowledge of the system that you're trying to play. Yes. Just to keep so, everything on the rails. So,
1: for example, uh, if I was playing a barbarian and you were my game master, and I was approaching a door, and it seems like it's a wooden door, and you describe that it there it is locked, mm-hmm. and I tell you I want to bust through the door,
0: what do you as the game master tell me, the player? Um... I'm going, well, assuming that I've followed the rules and I know what I'm doing, I'm probably going to ask, or I'm going to tell him what the DC is going to be for his strength roll to break down the door. All
1: yeah, right. What's a DC?
0: Have we uh, talked about d- that d- yet? I
1: don't think we have. What's a DC?
0: Uh, difficulty check.
1: Yeah. Dif- difficulty class. Difficulty class. Yeah. It, yeah. It's basically the t- the target number mm-hmm. or difficulty class. Um, when So he's basically mm-hmm. saying that I have to roll a strength skill check or ability check, depending. Mm-hmm.
0: Or athletics. Or athletics. Yeah. Well, th- yeah. So in D and D'd would be athletics. It's, it's for sure. the
1: second of the big three. You're mm-hmm. rolling not an attack roll or a saving throw. Skill it's check. something it's a skill check to uh break down this door. And it depending on the system, it might just be raw strength, it might be athletics, but you're basically telling me to roll the dice and apply my bonus my relevant bonus. I'm not applying a lockpicking bonus Mm -hmm. because I'm busting through. The game master has uh, been told by the player what the player wishes to do, and then the game master tells them what to roll. Mm -hmm. That's the big thing. The entirety of a tabletop role-playing game is a constant flow of players saying, I want to try and accomplish X, and the game master is saying either you accomplish (laughs) it uh, that is not feasible given the current situation or uh, roll to see whether you succeed or fail.
0: You're basically there, part of part of your job, one of the biggest jobs that you have as a GM is to apply the rules to the player's narration. Correct, yes. The player says, I want to kick the door in. You say, okay, well, how do the rules make that possible? Right. And in this case, and most, mo- most game systems, you're going to find pretty easy rules for breaking down barriers and stuff like that. It's written into most systems well. Yeah. And, you know, in this case, it's, okay, the... DC to break down a wooden door is X. You tell the player to roll whatever the relevant roll is. If they hit the X or exceed the X, boom, door goes collapsing in. Barbarian gets to you know whatever meaty morsels are inside.
1: Yeah, it could be uh, it could be a uh, a larder full of preserved meats, or maybe it's a bunch mm-hmm. of uh, maybe it's a bunch of caged beasts yeah, to fight. Maybe just angry drunken goblins. Who knows? <laughs> oh God. Uh, so. That brings back a point to go back to that I said we would get to and then forgot. Uh what is a you talked about what a D twenty is. Mm-hmm. What so tell me about the rest of the dice before we get any further into this. There's other sizes
0: of them? Oh yeah. How do you read them on the page? What do, what does three D eight mean? Okay. Um most of these games, well, really, the vast majority of games use some combination of polyhedral dice. Some of them will use just raw D6s, but we'll, we'll talk mostly about the D20 system since that's kind of where we're dipping into. For anyone that speaks English, polyhedral is like multiple-sided. Yeah. yeah, Not not your standard six-sided <laughs> die nope, nope. always. Well, I mean, a six-sided die technically is polyhedral. Well, I but... <laughs> know, I understand, but... People... There, there, there are other the dice including and other than your Monopoly dice. 3D geometrical mm-hmm. shapes with...
1: Roughly equal sides and a, in a in even in even numbers, <laughs> right? And they usually come in uh, four sided dice, which are the ones you don't want to step on. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like side- a caltrip, trip, man. Yeah, like, seriously, they're like they're. It's a danger to leave those on the floor. Uh, six sided dice, worse which, than Legos. Uh, ooh. <sighs> okay. How about this? Uh, in the top metal D fours. All right. Okay, so I should explain. Um, <laughs> D usually describe the size of a of of a single die, uh, with D, and then wh- however many sides mm-hmm. is on that specific die. So D four are pyramids, uh, D six are six-sided dice. These are the type of dice mm-hmm. you're going to find in most Monopoly board games, games, Monopoly, or at the at the craps table at the casino. Mm-hmm. D eights have eight sides. Uh, then there goes up to ten, which a couple two D two D ten. So what, what's the two in front mean?
0: If I tell you to roll 2d10? If your GM tells you to roll 2d10, he wants you to roll two 10-sided dice. Yes. So the number before the D is the amount of dice. The number after the D is the number of sides.
1: Correct. And then in most systems, they are cumulative, meaning you add them up. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, so if you're rolling 3d8, you roll three eight-sided dice and you tell the game master the total. Yep. Add them all up. Boom. There yep. You go. All right. So now we can go back to go forward again. <laughs> All right. So uh, the constant give and take. As the game master, your primary uh, your primary function is to be the processor of a computer game, essentially. And uh, except that this is a computer game, or a video game, or a board game that has technically no limits mm-hmm. you can always attempt to do something once that's in, true in a tabletop role playing
0: not game. always a good idea but it's you not can a- a good you idea, can attempt to do a thing one and it's time it's not
1: always going to work uh so for example most of the time as a game master you should only ask for the player to roll most of it the there's always going to be exceptions to anything that we tell you almost always and for example you know the player says, "I want to huck my spear at that target thirty yards away." You decide on how hard it's going to be, and then you have them roll. Uh, they they say, "I want to huck my spear at the moon." Well, this is a, people often talk about like jumping up to the moon as an example, mm-hmm. or hucking something at it, or throwing it, and that is mm-hmm. literally not going to happen. No. If that's if there is no if there is no chance for success. It's probably not a good idea to have them roll. Just, just tell. Just him, Just tell them you throw <laughs> your spear and it clatters to yeah. the ground after going as far as you could launch it. Um, a lot of systems these days, a lot of them encourage you only to have players roll if the outcome is going to be dramatic. Actually, mm-hmm. if it's going to have an impact on the story.
0: Well, yeah, and I mean, I think that it's always kind of been, at least for me, you know, if you look at the character skills and they're really good at a thing, and they're asking you if they can do something really simple with that skill, why bother making them roll? Right, you exactly. You know what I mean? Like, if, if you are a classically trained chef, and you tell your GM, I would like to make a grilled cheese sandwich, there is no reason that the GM needs to make you roll for that. Correct. If, if, if you are a classically trained chef, and you don't know how to make a grilled cheese sandwich, y- your, your instructors have failed you. Right. <laughs> like, your whole life, everybody has failed you. But if that same... Uh, character is trying to prep a feast,
1: an, an absolute seven-course feast, for an opposing nation's uh, visiting diplomat, and he's only got thirty minutes to do it. Maybe All right, now now the tension is on. Mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe it's dramatic. It's <laughs> dramatic. Uh, there might be a role. Failure involved. Failure has consequences. Failure has yeah. There might be more than one role mm-hmm. involved. Uh, sometimes some games use what's called a skill challenge, where you yeah. I'm gonna explain what a skill challenge right, is. Here we go. Drink. A skill challenge is usually a, a type of dramatic encounter where there's no enemy in sight to engage in combat with, but you want to have the player's success or failure not be determined by one single throw of a die, mm-hmm. right? So you've got uh, one big one I think that comes to mind is a there's a specific scenario from a certain campaign that I have watched on YouTube by a certain Matt Colville where the, where the player's... Uh, are escaping from a city during an entire like raid, like demons and an evil army is basically attacking the city, and they're trying to get from one end of the city to the, the other.
0: I feel like our dumb asses are just trying to fight them.
1: Yeah, yeah that's true. <laughs> you, you guys would turn around and get eaten by a yes. giant demon. That's you guys. Don't, you, our group, our group never knows when to run. It's always just well, that's an entire episode right there yeah, talking about fleeing combat. But true. anyway, a skill challenge is multiple different types of skill checks. Uh, to resolve a dramatic scenario in succession. So maybe maybe you get to make uh, ten 10 attempts, but you need at least four successes for the group to mm-hmm. pass or something like that or everybody... or, if it's, or if it's you know four to six is success but uh, we'll talk about success but just a little bit later. Um, and then like seven and above is just critical success. Mm-hmm. you guys get through the town nothing happens. Uh, what else what else, what else is uh, GM responsible for Oh voices lines of dialogue yeah yeah so if your players go through the town and they you, you describe the town oh you're, you're responsible for setting that scene right you mm-hmm. say you're just you're responsible for the five senses whatever your players can uh, experience through their characters with their senses, you should set that scene. In increasing detail, the more important a scene is. Mm -hmm. So if you're just in, say your players have just come off the ship and they can smell the pungent smell of fish wafting over the docks as the fishmongers call out to hawk their wares and the sound of waves lapping against the pier echoes across the canyon walls. These are the types of things that you are responsible for getting across. If you're running a dungeon and the and there's like a puzzle to solve in the room. You're responsible for making sure they get all the pieces of the puzzle. Mm-hmm. Not withhold. You you don't want to withhold information just because. Uh, you withhold information if it's secret for a purpose. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you should give your players as much information as possible so they can make interesting, informed decisions in character. Giving them uh, the what's what's the very very so precious player agency, mm-hmm. right? we can talk about player agency at length too some other time. <laughs> uh, what else uh, what else comes to mind when you think about what a game master is responsible for?
0: Um pacing. Pacing, that's true. You know, i there are times and don't get me wrong, like when your players are like really deep in the throes of role playing, well, let them do that. What is, role-playing? Role-playing is right? role playing? Role playing is R O L E. R O L E, yep, role playing. I mean, considering that, that these games also have dice, R-O-L-L and R-O-L-E are both very important and different terms yes. when, when talking about tabletop games. Um, we're talking about it in the R-O-L-E sense. And what that is is basically you inhabiting the role of your character. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's like kind of one of the whole points of these games is for you to, to pick up and be somebody that you're not. Yeah. You know, like I am not a, a you know, two and a half foot tall, 15 year old goblin rogue. No you're not no no you're not you're not
1: 15 you're not two and a half foot tall. but you do share one important aspect with bog. my drinking problem? Oh, no. <laughs> I was gonna I was gonna say isn't he also bald?
0: Yes, yes. All right, uh, so there Bog, it is. Bog, Bog is also bald, bulb. But for him, it's not by... Buddy, like, do we need to talk? Well, I mean, we, 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 we have a podcast called The Game Master Speakeasy, and you feed well, me beer every week, so...
1: That doesn't mean it needs to be a problem.
0: <laughs> I mean, it's not a problem problem. Uh, we're joking. He doesn't have a drinking <laughs> no, problem. I really don't. Um, that, and I think... And this kind of goes along with pacing, too. Um... I think that that one of the other important roles for a GM is to make sure that all of your players get their 15 minutes of fame. You know, it's like you will have some people and it doesn't. And this isn't a judgment on anybody around the table, but you will have some people that are a lot more comfortable role playing than others. You know, people that the entire time they're there, they're they're constantly talking and constantly role-playing their characters and then you'll have people that are a little more shy and a little less apt to do that as a gm it's good to encourage those the quieter players to get in there and get into their characters and the the more bolsterous characters the ones that that tended to suck up a lot of the oxygen in the room to kind of back them off a little bit so they're not hogging the limelight from the other players at the table
1: it does require a delicate touch, though. It does. Yes, because the imagine if your players are uh, like reeds or something in the wind, right? You want mm-hmm. to bend them, but not break mm-hmm. them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, so if you have a player that is more shy, you want to encourage them to speak up. Uh, because you are the Game Master, you are responsible for what is called doing the voice. You don't <laughs> have to do an accent. You do not have to do an accent to roleplay. That is very important. What role playing truly is, is making a decision based on the character's wants and desires mm-hmm. rather than your own. So if you are. <laughs> currently inhabiting the role of the fishmonger on the docks, what's the fishmonger want to do? Yeah, He wants to sell his fish, right? Yeah. He doesn't want to get roped up with adventurers that are they're chasing a bad guy. He just wants to sell his fish. And unless, he, he those,
0: doesn't- unless those adventurers can help him acquire more fish or more effectively sell the fish that he has... He's probably not interested. He's probably not interested in whatever it is that they're doing, unless that fishmonger is an ex-adventurer. Mm-hmm.
1: You know, you never know. You might spice things up with an NPC who used to have a more interesting life. Yeah. But if he's just a, he a took
0: one, an arrow d- to the if knee. he's a one, what's that? He took an arrow to the knee.
1: Yeah, he took. a I yeah, used to be an adventurer <laughs> until he took an arrow to the knee. Um, if if that fishmonger. Uh, is a one-dimensional character. He's just a fishmonger, mm-hmm. right? There's no... He doesn't have a secret past. He doesn't have the desire to open up an entire fishing enterprise. He just wants to sell his fish and go home to his
0: family. And as a GM, it's okay to have one-dimensional characters. A lot of your NPCs are going to be pretty one-dimensional because you, if you go through and you take the time to flesh out every single townsperson in the entire village... Your players are not going to talk to all of them.
1: They're no. not
0: going to have interactions with them. And what you're going to end up doing is spending copious amounts of hours building these characters and their backstories and all this interesting information that will never be used by anyone. Possibly, yeah. You know,
1: D- It depends on how much prep work you do. Mm-hmm. This is another responsibility. If you are the game master, it is your responsibility to set up the bones of the game session, you need to have characters in place. Whether you're using a pre-written adventure, what's an adventure? I know, I know, people <laughs> know what the word adventure
0: means, in, but what's a pre-written adventure? Well, let me let me take a drink here. There right you bit. go. <laughs> I gotta open another. <laughs> an adventure, in terms of of tabletop role playing games, whether it is a pre-generated adventure or whether it's one that your game master cooks up, is a story. Yeah. That's at, at its core, that's what it is. You you generally will have a setting, you will have an objective, you will have the the NPCs, and they're all a part of just telling that tale. This like tabletop games at their core are just a really complicated choose your own adventure book that's, for multiple people to enjoy at the same time. That is a good that's a good way to boil it down. It's just
1: it's better. In a lot of ways. In every because, way, I would say. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because with, with video games or or even choose your own adventure books, when you get the product, the there is a finite number of, mm-hmm. p- of outcomes. Whereas in in tabletop games, based on the collective storytelling power that the game master shares with the rest of the group, there is
0: technically an unlimited number of possibilities your players could retire from adventuring and open an orphan orphanage and you could legitimately run an entire campaign on that you if, could, you if you wanted to as long to. as everybody's enjoying it i don't think i would enjoy running an orphanage personally but <laughs> you know if, if your whole player group is like you know what we're just gonna stop adventuring and one kid, open a tavern
1: one kid's enough huh, Lance? yeah I, I got one
0: i got one and he's a teenager and we won't talk anymore about that oh that's right he is a teenager <laughs> now
1: uh, yep. oh boy So as the Game Master, you are in charge of all of these different elements. And it is your job, like Lance has said, to kind of bring it all home. You want to have a working knowledge of the game so that you can take what your players tell you, give back what they need to do. You need to be able to understand the various mechanics. You don't need to know every single rule. Uh, like I said earlier you you are the final arbiter of the rules, the final judge. a lot of games will have this at the front of the book somewhere you know there's there's uh, there's the rule of cool which often is, the GM might allow you to break the rules if you're what you want to accomplish is potentially rad as heck.
0: Yeah, if it'll, if it'll further the story or make for an epic, memorable moment. Yeah. Memorable moments are important, both from a GM and a player's perspective. If a player can do something that that group is going to remember and very possibly talk about for years to come, sometimes it's okay to bend the rules a little bit and let them just do something interesting.
1: Yes, which kind of brings us down to Rule zero, which is no matter what the book says, the game master is essentially in charge. But it's also important to know that you are not against the players. Mm-hmm. You want the players to succeed, but you want it to be interesting along the way. You are not there to beat them. You you. I read a lot about these horror stories of game masters.
0: Adversarial GMs.
1: Adversarial GMs. You know, you they, they come in and they're on a power trip. Um, and they are just, I luckily have personally never been one or never had to be with one because
0: honestly, our pool
1: of people we've played with is
0: pretty small because we kind of been a, a, the same combination of the same 10 ish people basically since we've started, but in the since, well, yeah, even since I've started in the
1: current day and age with a lot more people meeting up. Uh, online. online with strangers from the internet, your chances of encountering uh, strange GMs or or possibly strange players is a lot higher these days. I would say if you are engaging with that group online, then you're you've got this risk of adversarial players or GMs and don't be one. You yeah. you want you're here to all have fun, and you also
0: it's important. It's important to remember that you also need to have fun as a game master. Oh, absolutely. And and the thing is, ultimately, what you're doing as a GM is you are collaborating with your players to tell a cool story. Oh yeah, that's it's it's not about who's winning or who's losing or or whether characters or NPCs or anybody are are dying during this. It is about telling an epic story. And.
1: As the game master, it's almost like its own separate hobby, right? Like tabletop role playing games are kind of two hobbies in once, in a way. Would you would you agree or disagree with that? Well, explain to me what you mean by that. But I think I know where you're going with it. So as the, as the player, you come up with a single character, and you show up, and you show up to. To you show up every week or every other week or whenever, as much as whenever you're scheduled, whenever you're scheduled, uh, it's it's very common that most groups meet up once a week. That's, Mm -hmm. I think, the standard for people that can afford that sort of time. Mm -hmm. You know, for about three to four hours is your average run for a session. And as a player, being a player in tabletop RPGs is almost an entirely different hobby than being a GM. Yeah. Because the Game Master is the one in charge of... You You build the war. If you're coming up with your own setting, uh, and I, I mean that in the very literary sense, like, like a book's setting, mm-hmm. you can use existing settings. Like if you play Dungeons & Dragons, their existing setting is called the Forgotten Realms, and it already has a slew of gods and nations that exist in it. There's novels written in this setting. It's mm-hmm. called the Forgotten Realms, and you can play in it. Uh, Paizo's Pathfinder is set in... I, I've heard multiple pronunciations. I call it Galarian. I don't know what that is. I, I think it's Galarian. It's, I've, heard, I've heard it pronounced like Golarion as well, but I don't know what is pronounced. I like proper. Galarian better. Yeah, me too. <laughs> uh, but that said, it's, they've also got their own various pantheon of gods. If you're coming up with your own setting, uh, you are responsible for f- what's called, f- we use the word fleshing it out a lot, which uh, I'm going to explain that as a gaming term because it's used in the gaming industry. So drink. I talked earlier about setting up the bones for your adventure, whether it be pre-written or you're coming up with it yourself. Then you can kind of flesh it out partially ahead of time by coming up with, uh, say you're making a fantasy system like Lord of the Rings or Dungeons and Dragons. You want to have a magic system in place. How does that work? Where does magic come from? These are all questions you as the dungeon master are in charge of Mm -hmm. because you are... The narrator, writer, arbiter, the person in charge of the very fabric of this universe that you're playing in. And that is a whole lot more work. It's also a whole lot of fun and an incredible creative outlet.
0: I was going to say, if you're a very creative person, GMing is a really good role for you as far as, you know, tabletop games.
1: Yes. And that whereas being a player you just you make your character you show up and you work with your friends to accomplish goals mm-hmm. and make a story and you, there's none of that world building crap involved you know, you, know co- you don't you don't need any of that in your life you don't you, you're just <laughs> there to roll dice and slay goblins corporations should use
0: these games as team building exercises
1: uh, there are, i mean depending on your job you could put <laughs> game master on your resume yeah, that's true <laughs> uh, it, there are certain places where they might look upon that favorably because uh, you've organized a group of people and are in charge of all sorts of different facets of, it's not only time management, but one last important role of the game master, uh, but this is also blended into the players too, is to help break up or arbitrate disputes among the players. Mm-hmm. So if there's ever an argument, so if your players are arguing in character that's good. Let them do it. If, yeah. If, if So, for example, we have a paladin and a ranger arguing about which group of people. to. Oh, the elves in the forest are in danger, but the people want to attack these pirates in the south, right? Mm-hmm. If they're arguing in character about which where to go, that's good. If people are arguing out of character, that's bad.
0: Yep. And mm-hmm. if you
1: are a confident enough person as the game master, I think people will look to you to help solve these issues. Uh, there's If you go on Reddit or social media you've often got these people that are saying, oh, X player is saying why. how do I handle that? And the simple answer to all these posts on Reddit is talk to them like a human being.
0: Yeah, pull you, them aside at the end of the game and just say, hey, here's the thing. Yes, it's, you know, and
1: I know it can be really scary. Uh, but you you and I, I think, have some, some, maybe some less social anxieties than other people, mm-hmm. but they're, they're, it is a very real thing, and it can be a difficult thing to talk to people And not know how they're going to react. But it is important uh, that you, as the Game Master, try to find a solution that works for everybody. So that everyone can show up to the game and be happy. And it's also possible that maybe that player uh, is just not a good fit for your group. But I will say this. uh, No gaming is better than bad gaming. It is better to not have played oh, yeah. than to have to, than to have a nightmare like, game master or a nightmare player infecting your fun time. Because the goal of the entire thing is to have fun with mm-hmm. some strangers or friends or soon to be friends.
0: Well, and that's the thing. The thing with that is, is you know, if there is out of character conflict going on, that kind of toxic behavior can infect your entire gaming group. It can infect the entire game. And while nobody wants to kick a player out of the group. You know, the the objective as a GM is to talk them into a position where they're going to behave themselves and that everything is going to be okay. But, like you said, sometimes you just, you just got to cut the rotten fruit off the tree. You Yes, unfortunately. I mean, yeah. as bad as it sounds, you may have... And, and, and this is something I think that you're going to more commonly run into with online groups, probably, than with, with in-person groups, assuming that you, you have a, a working knowledge of all of the people that are in your gaming group. You know, for us, it's all friends, co-workers. Well, they're all friends, but I mean, they're friends that were either former co-workers that we've known for years or like, you know, your girlfriend plays with us. Yeah. These are all people that we know. We know them well enough to know that we can diffuse these kind of situations when they come up. If you're playing in random online groups, the amount of toxic people that you can potentially Potentially run into into is, is a lot higher. And if you are GMing an online group and you have a toxic player, that just will not listen to reason, will not get along with the other players, and is dragging down the whole group, get rid of them. There's always another player out there to pick that slack up, especially if you're talking about the online community.
1: That's true. Don't uh,
0: let them ruin everybody else's good time.
1: Being a game master is like uh, being, being a, <laughs> playing a healer in an MMO. An MMO being a <laughs> massively multiplayer online RPG, a video game where yep. tons thousands of players are playing. They're always in demand. There's never enough of them. You can mm-hmm. always find players, but it's important that you... Every, it's important even that nasty jerk can find a group of... Maybe maybe he'll find some other nasty jerks, well, and, the and is, they'll all have a great nasty jerk time together.
0: Well, the thing is, that nasty jerk may just need you to explain to him your expectations as a GM, too. Yes, it is very... It's I would say it's important. Give the guy a chance, but... Give him a chance. If he doesn't want to listen to Reason, you know, find somebody else to take that job.
1: That's right. All right, so in summation... uh, So what what, if we can bring it all home? Let's get let's reiterate the bullet points. As a game master, you are to listen to what your players have to say. You're going to build the world. You're going to run the rules. You don't need to have encyclopedic knowledge, but just run the rules as best as you can. Mm -hmm. Uh, If you need working knowledge, working knowledge. If you have to, make a ruling in the moment and check the actual rule at the end of the session. Mm -hmm. Uh, Broker. A peace treaty between players that are arguing. If characters are arguing, let it happen. Uh, know the rules well enough to help players build their characters. We didn't mm-hmm. get into that, but you know, it's it's up to you to be, players look to you for guidance. Be the light in the dark to help guide them through this adventure. That's all you need. Yeah. That's all you need to do, and it, it's. And when I say it, it sounds real simple. Some people get real intimidated by it, but you don't need to be. Well, here's the good news. The
0: more you do it, the easier it gets.
1: So, yeah, that's true. So what we say is, just start. Just start right now. If you're thinking about the, the fact that maybe I want to get into tabletop games, either as a player or a game master, just begin. Especially you, you nascent, fledgling GMs out there. We encourage you to just... <laughs> Grab the books, read through them, read through them twice if need be, Mm -hmm. take notes and go play with your friends. Because at the end of the day, if you sit around the table rolling dice, it's going to be a lot more fun than, uh, than not doing that. Agreed. I would say that playing tabletop games is some of the most fun I've ever had. And I would not change. I would not trade it for almost anything. I look forward to it every week. (laughs) Uh, Just know that, you know, some sessions are going to be better than others uh as primus said they can't all be zingers <laughs> so know that uh, know that and just forge ahead not everyone you know rome wasn't built in a day right so just keep at it you will improve if you find a spark for this and don't worry about burnout you there's there's such a thing we can talk about that in another episode you're you're it's the same thing as writer's block but wrap it up uh <laughs> And move forward and just know when to hold them and know when to fold them. <laughs> well, and and <laughs> so you know, know, that for a while. Even
0: if you think you're a little bit mediocre at the GMing thing, trust me that your players will appreciate it. Because without you get GMing, even if it's a little mediocre, they don't have a place to play. That's true. Mm-hmm. It
1: does not matter how well the gift is wrapped. That you put some thought into it will be appreciated. All right, so I think that's going to be it for this episode. Yep. Uh, I the today's bartender was Trixie, and she says it's last call. So uh, if you want to hear more of us, you can find us on uh, Google Podcast. You we can get us on Spotify, uh, Apple Podcast, YouTube. Tell us, uh, share us with your nerd friends, please. If you have any any comments, questions, concerns, topics that you'd like us to talk about, you can email us directly at uh, gmspeakeasyofficial at gmail.com. We are brought to you by the report we are brought to you by the record button production group you try and say it fast no I'll screw it up worse than you did (laughs) the record button production group which you can find on TikTok, Facebook, Instagram and Twitter as well as YouTube which is where our videos get uploaded Uh, please contact us Reach out to us. We encourage it. Uh, I would love to answer some emails or answer some emails right here on the show. I was going to say,
0: we'll bring them on the show. We'll bring them on
1: the show. Absolutely. I would love to do that. I look forward to it. If uh, Or maybe you just want to say that I have an annoying voice. I can take it. I've got broad <laughs> shoulders. Anyway, that is that for this episode. So I want to encourage you all to return next time. And please, tonight, get home safe.